Hello everyone, this is Justin with the Whitetail Theories podcast. This is going to be part two with Dave Owens of the Pinoti Project and Grant Fisher. Uh, We left off on woodsmanship, so Grant, I'm going to let you go ahead and take it away and we'll jump right into it. I know woodsmanship is a huge word in the turkey hunting world these days for people who hunt the way we do. And I just wanted you to explain what woodsmanship is to you and why it's so important for a turkey hunter to have in his arsenal. It's woodsmanship's a tough one to define because, in my opinion, it encompasses so much stuff. You know, um, you always hear the, the, the woodsmanship versus calling uh, discussion and, and kind of lopsided because there's so much that goes into woodsmanship. In my opinion, maybe, like I said, there's not a hard and fast definition to it. So um, it's important for woodsmanship because you got to, you know. In my opinion, woodsmanship encompasses everything from from knowing your quarry, like understanding the bird, knowing what you're after and its tendencies and what it's going to do and where it's going to go and why it's going to do what it's going to do, kind of outthinking it. Um, and um, it's all it's that all the way to the weather patterns and how that's going to affect the turkeys, where that's going to push the turkeys, and then just looking to what's in front of you, the boots are on the ground, seeing the habitat type, seeing the vegetation layers, and figuring out. How that's going to influence where the turkeys will be, where you can find them during what parts of the day. Um, woodsmanship encompasses listening, what 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 you're hearing, um, kind of being able to paint a picture without literally watching it unfold in front of you. Um, being able to hear the intensity in a turkey's gobble, uh, trying to determine his attitude, what he needs to hear, um, all by the intensity and the frequency of his gobbling. Uh, it's it's. All of that is kind of lumped into that that woodsmanship um, title. So uh, being proficient at as many of those as you possibly can, you know, obviously boost your uh, competency as as far as woodsmanship goes. And the more competent you can be out there, and the more you can understand, you know, the more opportunities you're going to have more than likely. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like woodsmanship can also be just learning the woods in general. Like a lot of people want to get out scouting this time of year and say they're not seeing turkeys. Well, right now you're not actually just looking for turkeys. Find um, what sign there is, the food sources, rolls in the land. Just find places where turkeys will be in the spring and where you know you can set up and kill turkeys when it comes time to hunt them. Yeah, for sure. Knowing if there's more, knowing how the knowing how is this year, knowing if the birds are going to be in the timber or in the fields. Um, you know, looking for any fresh cuts, any timber stand improvements, burns, like knowing where that stuff is. If you're, if you have the luxury of like hunting a piece of ground close to home, um, that's that's all very beneficial. I mean, I just don't think anything bad can come with more time in the woods. Um, you know, the more time you spend out there, the better. Uh, and it may be one little breadcrumb that you find on your your outing, but that one little breadcrumb can be very important if it it's put into play in spring morning yeah and it's like going back to trapping talk somebody may be out trapping this time of year and see something new on their land they've never noticed and that little breadcrumb as you called it may lead to them being able to kill a turkey this spring yeah for sure i mean any any little bitty any little bitty improvement in education there when it comes to you know if you learn something and kind of getting back on the thought of setups how long we usually set up on a bird before you decide to move or he goes cold and just describe what you talk about on a bird's checking a bird's temperature. Yeah, man. I mean, that's so situational that it's, it's impossible to put a, a number figure on it. Um, yeah. How confident you are in the setup, uh, how confident you are in knowing the bird's tendencies, 
whether it's day one that you've met him, day four that you've met him, um, what's going on around you. There's just so much uh, that goes goes into it. Um, yeah, I mean, that that's part of that wisdom shit we just talked about, being able to hear a turkey and, and look at where he's at on the map and, you know, what time of year it is, whether it's early season, you think he's got hen company, um, whether he's by himself. I mean, there's so much that goes into into that move or not to move and you're gonna like I said, you're gonna be wrong fifty percent of the time even regardless of your experience. <laughs> so, um there is no no uh solid answer there, but um you know, all of those little bitty things that I just mentioned, all of those aspects of the situation are gonna determine whether you need to be patient or you know, patient can hurt you as well as it can help you. You always hear patience, 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 but you know, if you're sitting by the wrong tree, I don't care how long you stay there. I don't know how how, care, how patient you are. It ain't gonna get him killed. It just ain't. So. Yeah, that's a great point. Just sitting and sitting and sitting can do nothing but hurt your cause when your bird's going the opposite way and you don't know he's on the move. Yeah, and that's part of it, man. You got to kind of figure out. You got to figure out how confident are you you are in the setup and, and um, kind of listening and watching and learning on on the fly. There, I mean. If I'm in a situation where a bird's got hens and I'm moving to position and he starts drifting off, I'm fairly confident he's moving around. I'm probably going to move a lot quicker than I will if I think I'm dealing with a uh, with a timid turkey that I feel like gobbled at my call and he knows where I'm at. Um, and I feel like he's by himself and I feel like he's just got some demons in his head that are that are slowing his approach. And I feel like he's being very cautious and I'll sit there more patient because I'm confident that bird knows where I'm at. And I'm confident he's eventually going to show up there. But you've just got to have that ability to make that call. And then, you know, you've got to have the ability to understand that you're going to be wrong a lot. Yeah, and I've heard you say before that if you see your turkey doing the same thing multiple times, then hopefully you'll be able to capitalize it. It's all about learning the bird that you're hunting and see what he's doing from experience to experience. We hope. <laughs> we yeah. Hope. <laughs> I know one of the terms you use a lot is a cooperative turkey. For people who don't know what that is, define what you call cooperative turkey and when one's acting that way or when you need to leave him for another day and come back. Man, cooperative turkey is just one that's in the right mood, just one to listen to what you got to say. I mean, that's the one that we're out there looking for. That's the one we think about all year. That's the one we walk miles and miles to find. Um, you know, I mean, everybody wants to equate a lot of the cooperative turkeys with two-year-olds, and there's good reason for that. But, I mean, they make them in all shapes and sizes and ages, you know. Um, yeah, a cooperative turkey, just, just that one turkey that you meet on the, you know, while you're out there that that is just receptive, you know. I mean, a cooperative turkey, a turkey can be a cooperative turkey for an hour, and then the, the next week he can be an uncooperative turkey, and then for that one hour he can be a cooperative turkey. You know, you just got to be there and strike while the iron is hot. And um, more time you put in the woods, the more cooperative turkeys you're going to find. Um, I don't think, uh, I don't know if I'm going to be saying this right, but I don't know if good turkey hunters are defined on cooperative turkeys. Um I think good turkey hunters are, are defined on killing turkeys that aren't cooperative because cooperative turkeys, when you find a hot turkey, you can call them in with a coffee straw and you can call them across the river. You know what I mean? So um, everybody's a superstar when they find a cooperative turkey. Uh, it's it's those turkeys that take a little bit more thought and then whatnot that really kind of solidifies, quote, unquote, a good turkey hunter. Yeah, I say that, but don't take that as me not liking cooperative turkeys. 
Because trust me, man, if I'm walking a million miles to find that cooperative turkey, and I prefer him over a stubborn turkey. But um, we all know that they're they're pretty tough to find. Yeah, and also you may hit a turkey coming off the rooster right in the morning. He may have his hands and not be a cooperative turkey, but if you stay with that turkey throughout the day by lunch or mid-morning when he leaves those hens, you may hit the call and he come right in wanting to cooperate for you. So it's all about checking your bird's temperature throughout the day or maybe uh, leaving him and coming back a couple hours later. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I was saying. Like, I got a turkey can be cooperative for one hour, and he could, he, he could have a 10-minute weakness. And if you're there on those 10 minutes, man, you'll be like, golly, this turkey just been standing here ready to die all day. Not the case. You know what I mean? Like, just the smallest little change can really, you know, play big when it comes to their mindset. There'd be one hen, a single hen, can really just turn a whole situation on its head or or cloud cover, or sunshine, or lack of rain, or rain. I mean, it, it, it could all play a factor in in creating or or preventing turkey from being cooperative. And kind of what you were just talking about with the weather change, the sun popping out, or the songbirds starting to chirpin, or the woods just starting to get alive. It kind of goes back to the whole aspect of woodsmanship. If that starts happening, you better get ready, because a turkey might turn cooperative any second. Yep. Yeah, whether it's barometric pressure or... Whatever it may be, I mean, it seems like all the turkeys or all the birds and animals react. Um, I've just, you know, I'm sure you have to. You've been out there on days that you just thought were going to be stellar, and it's just dead. Like crows aren't calling. It's just like it's just dead, and just everything's just dead that day. Um, you know, I mean, yeah, it's just it's just whatever causes it to be like that. I mean, some days it's just better than others. And going back to just talking about a cooperative turkey, I know several times you said it's just getting in that turkey's bubble. You may have to get 50 or 75 yards closer to him or go on the opposite side of him and you hit a call and he's dead in a matter of minutes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, that's kind of a – yeah, you can see that as, 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 as two different ways. You can see that as, like I mentioned earlier, killing stubborn turkeys, like tactics and strategy in order to get a turkey stubborn, a stubborn turkey killed. Um, or you can, yeah, it can be just one of those things we just mentioned, which was the factors that make a cooperative turkey. Um, it could be location. It could be, you know, you could strike a turkey on one side of him and he could be the stubbornest thing in the world. But then you, like you said, hit him from the 180 degrees around and he could run in like he's, you know, young and dumb. Um, you know, just giving him those options, make sure to make all of that available to him. If you have the, have the ability to get on the other side and strike him from a different different angle just trying to figure out how to make him a cooperative turkey or you know pushing the envelope and um getting inside the bubble getting inside that comfort zone using the terrain against him um to um to make that stubborn turkey uh second guess himself and you know give him a shorter distance he's got to travel to check you out and and kill a stubborn turkey using those same kind of approaches and tactics. And to continue set up, I know the good old saying that you can't call a turkey downhill. Um, I know it's all situational, but do you prefer uphill, downhill, or on the same level of a bird, or how do you try to go about it? Yeah, a turkey is always going to be easier to call into somewhere he wants to go. So, the, unfortunately, we don't know where that is all the time. So, um, turkeys that Turkeys will come downhill, they'll go uphill, they'll sidehill, they'll they'll go across the road. I mean, it all depends on the turkey. Um, preferably, yeah, I'd like to be uphill from him if I'm in the in the mountains. Um, 
just because I can hear better. I can hear what's going on below me better than I can when I'm listening uh, listening to him above me. Um, I can kind of uh, it's easier to make moves on him when you when you can kind of get above him. Um, and he's at a disadvantage a lot of times if he's looking up people. Um, you know, uh, whether it be you know the sun or whatever. A lot of times if he's appeal, uh, you can lay your eyes on him quicker than he can lay his eyes on you. So. And kind of want to transition to scouting. I know you don't get to scout near as much as you used to just because you're on the road and so busy this time of year. But for somebody looking to get scouted a few weeks or a month for the season, uh, what would you advise them they need to be looking for and that kind of areas they should go about looking in? Yeah, man, I miss those times. I, mean, I miss the calendar being turned to the new year and being in the woods every morning and listening. And It's just not productive for me because I'm just flat out not in one place enough to, to benefit I still like doing it, but like you said, the responsibilities that have come along with this platform kind of uh, that's that's the bottleneck. That's where it chokes me out is right here at the beginning. So I don't have the time to do that. But um, strategies that that have proved uh, effective for me uh, back when I did was first and foremost, like we said earlier, just getting out there. Every time you you go, you're going to learn something that could potentially be productive. Um, but from the start, I like to I like to scout lazy. I guess is a way to put it. I like to look into areas and, and using satellite imagery and uh, to look at the vegetation and whatnot and try to find diversity because turkeys need diversity like everything else and try to find one area that has everything a turkey's gonna. Need. And then I try to find a high spot um, over those areas so that I can put my ears on as much ground as possible. I only need one gobble to confirm my suspicions that there's turkeys in the area. That's all I need. If I can put myself on a high spot and put my ears open, I hear a couple of turkeys gobbling, then there is no need for me to do anything anything more. Um, I will back out, put my pins there, and go, there's turkeys here. It's worth hunting when the season comes in, and I'll get out of there. If I get over an area like that and I don't hear turkeys gobbling, that's when it's going to require a bit more effort, and I'll drop down and start looking for your typical sign, scratching, you know, that kind of thing. Um, typically, if there's creek bottoms, I'll look along the creek bottoms, the sandbars, the tracks. If there's road beds, you know, turkeys are opportunistic. They're going to take the path of least resistance like most of us will. So you can walk these road beds, especially after a fresh, you know, a fresh rain and, and pick up tracks to kind of confirm your suspicions, whether there is or isn't turkeys in the area. Um, you know, all of that kind of just, just your standard, you know, approach to scouting. Um, I think it's just beneficial to always start with, um, you know, being somewhat lazy, like putting your ears, you know, if I can listen to 2,000 ears or, you know, whatever um, from one listening point and confirm that there are turkeys in there, I don't have to go walk that 2,000 acres, you know, so. I know you said before you'll start listening around end of January, 1st of February, so if somebody asks when the turkeys start gobbling, you tell them about that time of year is worth getting out to listen. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I have, it's all dependent on the spring. Some springs seem to run early and some late. Um, back where I was hunting a lot in Georgia, man, I mean, turn of the year, you could find some, some mornings turkeys are just cranking. It's, it's funny because they would all be together, but you could find those big bachelor groups of turkeys out there, just gobblers roosting together and you could hear six or eight at a time. And it's funny the week before the season, they would bust up. It's like, you know, they just scatter. But, um, just learning that they're in there, you know, just knowing that they're there is uh, could keep you from wasting a, a, day, a hunting day 
on on plunging into a, an area that may not have purchase in it. Can I jump in real quick? I know I've been pretty yeah. quiet, uh, but I got a question here based on that topic. When, Dave, you typically see that kind of like seasonal shift, if you will, where they go from potentially bachelor groups and they start singling up with their hens, I know it's going to be different from uh, location to location and tur turkey density to turkey density, but is there usually like a, a roundabout time that you see a shift where maybe they, like I said, they shift from that bachelor group to their hens and then potentially when they get away from their hens too? Um, your agencies typically have your seasonal framework pretty well spot on from what I've been able to. I, I can always depend like in Georgia for years, it was just, it was just comical. I could almost put a, 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 a dot on the map as to when the turkeys were going to bust up because it was literally like the week before the season opened. Um, cause I kept thumb, my thumb on several, several, um, probably more than several, uh, groups of, of gobblers and every single one of them, um, you could, you could just about bet your, bet your money that, you know, that week before the season, there would be, still be one, maybe two turkeys gobbling in that, that roof site that they use during the winter, but you would hear the others in the distance. Um, as far as a specific date, yeah, it's going to all depend on, on where you're at. Um, you know, our, our, our photo periods are obviously what kind of function off of. So there is some similarities there across the, across the country. But, um, you know, your typical early spring stuff, your late March, early April stuff is, is when, um, They've just busted up. You're going to see gobblers or a couple gobblers with small groups of hens rather than these big winter flocks, which may have a dozen, you know, six, eight gobblers with a couple dozen hens or something like that. Um, and, you know, up up in the Dakotas and stuff like that, it's going to be much later. I mean, that'll be, that'll happen. They'll stay in those winter flocks till late April, early May sometimes, you know. So, um, yeah, it's locationally dependent. Um, on, on when all those things occur, but um, it's another one of those things we can revert back to woodsmanship, being able to tell that. Tell, you know, with a morning's listening, scouting efforts, what part of the breeding cycle the turkeys in that area are in. Um, and being able to read that and determine what you're dealing with, especially if, you, if you're going to stay there knowing that you're going to be dealing with locked up turkeys or if you're going to be really hitting the ground running because gobblers are you know, off their hands, the hands are in the nest, and then they're spread out. You know, it's 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 definitely a beneficial to be able to tell. And I guess going to talking about what phase of the breeding cycle they're in, that goes to like spend as much time in the woods as you can, whether you got 45 minutes for work or a whole morning. In that 45 minutes, you may kill one quick, or you'll learn where one is and be able to get him the next time you have more time to hunt. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's um, it's. Yeah, I mean, the more more time we put out there, the more more times, you know, the more opportunities we're going to have to find those cooperative turkeys we mentioned. Um, so yeah, putting in your time and uh, being diligent with it. Uh, go when when you might be a little bit tired. Go when you may not feel a hundred percent. You know, I mean, go when the gas is high. Go when the gas is low. You know, I mean, just making the effort and, and hunting with a purpose. Um, and um, the more more you do that, the more you know. The more that luck word is going to find you, I guess I'm saying. 
Yeah, it's like we said before, there's only so many mornings between March and May, and if you don't go every one of them, you possibly can. You'll be regretting it when the season's over. Absolutely. You, if, you, if you miss one morning, or in my case, if I if I miss one morning, that's the morning that I think about the whole off season. It ain't all the good mornings. It ain't the successful mornings that I had. It ain't the – that's the one that always is there. That's the one I wonder what would have happened that morning. Um. So, yeah, I, I – had that little epiphany many, many years ago, um, thinking, you know what, this morning's the one I'm going to remember in July. So I'm going to get my butt out of bed. I'm going to get me a cup of coffee. And even if I have to sit in the truck and watch the rain drip down the windshield, I'm going to be there, you know, just in case it doesn't, just in case I see a gobbler across the road, like just anything that can lead me into into knowing a little bit more about them, where they're living and what they're doing and, and that kind of thing. And going back to the scouting part, I know you and one of you and Chubb's favorite terms is arm scouting. Kind of explain what y'all define as arm scouting and what you're looking for on land you've, when you've never stepped foot on it before. It's that breadcrumb. You know, we're just looking for any type of little breadcrumb that we can start putting the puzzle pieces together. Um, a lot of times we use that phrase when we were hunting the early seasons, like in Alabama when it used to open on the 15th. These birds were really, really early. I mean, they were still flocked up. They weren't gobbling much. They'd give you a few roost gobbles. They were roosting right there with the hens. They didn't need to gobble. Uh, they did a lot more drumming. Um, so a lot of times that time of year, we're, we're cruising around. And we're, we're finding turkeys, but they're just not in the mood to be killed yet, and you can do a lot more harm than good by trying to push it in there on them. It's a lot more beneficial just to just to keep going to new areas and keep putting um, – as much inventory on the map as possible. That way, when the when the time does come to start collecting uh, on all that inventory, you have it there to collect from. Um, obviously, you're going to bring your gun for that that cooperative turkey you might bump into. But um, armed scouting is that's what I'm referring to is is if a turkey's not not in the right mood to die, um, then we're not going to push the envelope. We're going to have our have our weapon in case do bump into the cooperative one but we almost don't expect it you know we're, we're basically just building the inventory and building that um building that playbook up so that when it comes time and the and the, and the fruit is ripe, we're there to pick it absolutely and i know you and squirrel kind of have a video on this on the channel but when you're going to a new piece of ground and you're scouting it based off the computer explain what you're looking for on topo maps and maps that you're trying to scout from and the features you want to see on that map in a spot you're going to look at hunting when you're hunting a new piece of ground typically i'm going to start off hitting looking for those cooperative turkeys we looked at before i like to hunt with my ears um so i'm going to put myself in a position to hear as much ground as possible um and i'm going to pick ground that i think turkeys happen you know it's it's kind of back to that basic scouting and aerial scouting aerial imagery we mentioned diversity and uh, if i can find diversity in a high point where i can i put my ears over all of it um that's where i want to be and i want to find one of those areas to where i can conveniently move from one place to the to another to just be more efficient in in my in that magic hour where the are gobbling more than they typically do i mean you know that rich gobbling um i want to in a position to, to cover as much ground as possible. And when I'm looking at a topo map, that's the areas that I'm looking for. I'm going to look at those ridge systems that are going to allow me to cover a lot of ground um, without having to do a lot of up and down and getting back in the truck and repositioning and all that type of stuff. I'm going to try to start somewhere 
off the beaten path, try to kind of uh, get away from pressure or, you know, basically get to turkeys that hopefully haven't been painted, they haven't messed with as much. Um, and then I'll start from there and just trying to put my ears on the ground that, that I could that inventory of, of their turkeys here or their turkeys not, you know. Yeah, and going back to pressure, I know one of your big things to look at how the everyday hunter is going to enter that public land and you try to do something different so that turkey just don't think it's another hunter coming in from that same trail. Yeah, you're going to watch that in an episode that's going to drop here shortly. Um, I think we've probably got four or five more episodes before that. But, um, yeah, we did exactly that. Big, long ridge system, uh, gates on one end. Um, knowing that most folks approach that ridge system from the, from the, from the point closest to the gate. Um, and I did the direct opposite. You know, I went in there for a midday hunt and I walked, uh, the road network all the way past the ridge system and looped in on the back of it and basically worked the whole area backwards. Um, from what I had assumed, I worked it from the top, uh, assuming most folks are going to be working it from the bottom because that's what's most convenient. And I worked it from back to front rather than front to back, but flipping everything over on its head. I struck a turkey at like 2.30 in the afternoon. So is that why I struck the turkey? I don't know, but that's just an approach that I found um, beneficial to use, you know, time and time again. And, uh, you know, like we mentioned earlier, I'd rather be set up over the top of the turkey. But there are certain places in the in the country that I'll approach a turkey from the bottom just because I know chances are every time he's been approached by another person, it's been from above. Um, you know, just trying to think outside the box. Uh, we all have the tendency of just getting in a, in a habit or in a, in a rut, so to speak. And um, ruts and, and habits cause turkeys to, to borderline impossible. Um, you know, they, they, they borderline, you know, you've heard those turkey, those people say, oh, you just can't kill that turkey. Um, you may not be able to kill that turkey using a set of, uh, tactics that you have in your box, but he or she obviously hasn't expanded those efforts to think outside the box because, you know, there's something out there that'll trip that turkey's trigger. For sure. And going back to a hunt you and Chubbs had in Arkansas a few years back, y'all encountered a turkey caught a runner. And I've heard people call them that several times, and I've run into them myself, where they just move nonstop the whole day like they're on a mission. And uh, go about how y'all killed that turkey and how you – um, hunt turkeys that you know are on always on the move and aren't stopping you just do just that you just try to keep up with them i mean these turkeys are um who knows what makes them be like that i think um they've been referred to as vagabond gobblers just go and they just gobble it's almost like they they have their locations in mind and they're going there and they're going to gobble at you but they're not going to this like if you're in between their point A and B, you're going to look like a superstar. You're going to think you yelped to that turkey and he literally ran to you. Um, you'll never know the truth, but, you know, so it doesn't matter. But these turkeys just have the – they just go. They just they just move. And um, trying to keep up with him, hoping that he keeps gobbling the turkey, allow you to keep up with him, uh, trying to determine his direction of travel and get in front of him to intercept him. Using his using that loud mouth he's got because typically these running turkeys do gobble a lot. I found and or in that situation like you and that you had mentioned too, where Chubbs and I found that that turkey finally hit his mark 
and I have found that to be the case a lot. Like I have run turkeys for a mile or a mile and a half, two miles, and they have finally get to a part where they stay. Um, and, you know, stay long enough for you to catch up and develop a plan on how to get close to them. And that's what happened there. That turkey kind of hit his mark. He found a spot after we'd done chasing halfway across the dang county, and um, we were able to make it happen. Yeah, I can't remember where I heard you say it, but sometimes you can kill a turkey with never even pulling your call out and making a call. If you he's gobbling good enough, you know where he's going, the direction he's heading, and you can get in front of him. You just need to get in a good setup, be on the gun, ready to shoot, and he may slip right out by you gobbling and never have a clue in the world you were there. Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, that's part of that woodsmanship, killing turkeys. You know what I mean? Uh, um, do I like to yelp them up? Absolutely. But I get just as much enjoyment as, as, as killing him on his own in, in his own bedroom, in his own kitchen. You know what I mean? I like I like using what's available in front of me and, and to kind of outwit him that way just as much. Um, some people will frown on it. They'll some a bushwhacking or terms like that, which I, I find um, completely uh, a completely different topic. I don't think that is bushwhacking a turkey. I think. Um, you know, that's using, you know, the tools that you have ahead of you and what's between your ears. And they want to say, you know, you won't use a decoy, but, you know, you won't fan a turkey, but you'll still crawl a turkey on the edge of a field. I'm like, well, what I'm doing is I'm beating the turkey's number one line of defense. Uh, I want to kill him one of two ways. I want to make him doubt. His mind. We all know that turkeys live and die by their eyes. I want to, get, I want to fool his ears so much that he, uh, doubts his one line defense you know he he, he uh has fooled um i fooled his mind through his ears so well that he's going to put himself at risk and um almost um ignore his number one line of defense that's kept him safe for all these you know for his whole life i'm either going to do it that way or i'm going to fool that number one line of defense, um using the ground that he's lived on his whole life you know, I'm going to use it, um, you know, I'm going to fool that line of defense without using any type of visual aid. I'm not going to use any type of device that's going to uh, take advantage of any um, shortcoming he may have that's it's hardwired to their DNA uh, when it comes to aggression and the sign stimulus and that thing. Um, I'm going to beat his eyes using what, what's laid out right there in front of him and being able to read the ground read where he's going to go, and um, and be that way. And I kind of want to hit on calling a little bit. We had not talked about calling much. What are some of your calling strategies and when you know to get aggressive versus when you want to call soft and um, just not be more real aggressive with the bird? Uh, man, there's so much of this conversation is just reverted right back to the woodsmanship stuff. We talked about being able to take a turkey's temperature and determine what he wants to hear by the intensity in his gobble um, and, and the frequency in his gobbling. Um, I guess the best way of kind of explaining this stuff is give a couple examples. I'll try to think of a couple right offhand. Um, Miriam turkeys, for instance. Uh, well, that may not be a good example. We probably have a lot more people that have experience with eastern turkeys. Um, let me think here. Um, we, uh, I dealt with a turkey. Um, say, say, hunt the, say hunt in the mountains, hunt in the woods. Um, let's see, well, I hunted with Walt Gabbert last year in Kentucky. Uh, we were hunting at a place that he had, and there was a group of turkeys. There was, there may have been three gobblers together. I think it was just two, though. Um, the turkeys were wanting to die. I mean, they wanted to die. They were in a good mood. 
but the terrain was uh, very, very difficult because it was steep and they were living in a field, one of those fields that, that, that peaked right at the top in the middle of the field. So it was a crest um, and the field crested like 15 yards away. Um, so I took advantage of the willingness of that those turkeys that I could tell through their just incessant gobbling and, um, you know, this, just their, their, their intensity in their gobbles and gobbling at crows. I mean, I just knew that they were looking for company. So I knew that they were going to be very receptive to the call. So I used that to my advantage by using what you've probably heard of as pick-a-spot calling. Uh, that difficult setup due to that quick rollover in the field, like I was trying to avoid those turkeys popping up on us at like 10 and 15 yards, like we mentioned earlier. So we walked down the field edge and called to the turkeys, and I knew they were going to be responsive, and I felt confident that just a little bit of calling, provoking those turkeys just a little bit, was going to have those turkeys standing where we wanted them to stand. Um, So I walked down the field edge about 35, 40 yards from where we were actually going to set up, I called to the turkeys. I was extremely aggressive. I really like crawled all over them because I knew that's what they were wanting to hear. And then I, you know, quickly got back to my hunting setup. So I used calling and their vulnerability, being in that cooperative mood, to put themselves in a position that was going to be more beneficial for me. Those turkeys popped up over that crest about 35 or 40 yards down from us rather than right up on top of us to where, you know, you could really be handcuffed. Um, so that was one of the places where I was able to read the turkey and then use the calling to uh, to put them in a place that, that was really beneficial for me. So it's much different than just yelping a turkey straight up to you because in that situation they were going to show up kind of too close for comfort. Um, and another situation is, is this past year, kind of an opposite, kind of a flip the switch situation is um, Arizona this year, and we were in a place that has a tendency to have tough turkeys. Um, Turkeys kind of, they'll gobble, but they won't cooperate. Uh, they do that. I don't know how many. Have you ever hunted? you ever had the opportunity to chase Miriam's grant? Uh, yeah, I went last year in Nebraska. Yeah. Turkeys catch a bad rat, but, man, they can be difficult turkeys. I mean, they are they are turkeys that, they, it seems like every other one is one of those runners we were talking about earlier. They'll gobble at you, but they already have their destination in mind, and, that's kind of the situation this place that we were hunting has a tendency of being like that. And um, this turkey was just gobbling and gobbling and gobbling. As we were making our setup, he was gobbling and gobbling and gobbling. And, and we got set up finally, and I clucked to the turkey. Did some real soft, uh, we're probably 150 yards from him. Did some real soft tree stalk, tree talk stuff, and he clammed up, got, got quiet real quick. And instead of continuing to call to that turkey, because, you know, Whatever the reason may be that people continue to call into turkeys, whether it be they want to hear them gobble or they want to keep tabs on them or whatnot, I just had a feeling uh, that the way that turkey reacted to that call, that I had piqued his curiosity, um, I was dang sure that he had heard me, and I felt doing any more calling was going to raise suspicion on his behalf versus kind of confirming what, you know, Sometimes I keep calling because I want to want to confirm with the gobbler as to what he's hearing. Like I want to keep confirmation in his mind that yes, there is in fact a hen over here, or there is in fact a hen and a jake over here. Um, you know, keep doing what you're doing, keep coming or whatever. In this situation, I uh, I felt like I had piqued his curiosity, but I just had that feeling just because he didn't 
crawl all over the calls. He didn't continue to gobble almost like he was looking for another response from us, like he, he kind of clammed up. But I, so we played it cool. We played it patient. We didn't call any more to the turkey. Um, we literally, I think I yelped at the turkey one time and then just did some tree plucking to him, maybe two or three different sequences. And this turkey was not close. I mean, like I said, he was 150 yards. But I was confident that he heard me. And sure enough, like after about 25 or so minutes of, of quietness, um, you hear drumming and, and he shows up. So two totally different calling techniques, two totally different reasonings for, for choosing those calling techniques, but both of them successful. So it just kind of goes to confirm like understanding what you need to say and when you need to say it and, and how much you need to say is only comes with experience and uh, it, it's irreplaceable a lot of times. Yeah, I'm talking about how you said sometimes you hardly got to make a call at all. The turkey I was telling you about, it took me four hunts to kill last year. The day I ended up killing, there was actually two, and they weren't roosted where I thought they were. They were probably both 250 from me and gobbling every few seconds. And based off their gobbling, I was able to slip right in, into one of them about 100 yards away with just some cane in the bottom between me and him. And he was on the ground gobbling, and I got set up and yelped one time. And within a minute, he was in gun range. So sometimes it's about the less is more technique and just knowing what to do in each situation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and getting inside that bubble, you know how important it is. I mean, a, a, a uncooperative turkey can quickly become cooperative if you – it's almost like you trip a certain distance away from him where he's convinced that you are, in fact he – can, he can gather you and not lose what he's got, or he uh, his, the risk factor in him making a move from an area that he feels is safe to collect that hen is, is – it's worth it the closer you are, you know, because there's so many aspects, I guess, that, that come into play there. But whatever it is, we all know that the closer the better. Yeah, and going back to calling, there was a hunt, I think it was 2018 or 2019, you and Chubbs on a mountain turkeys, and birds are still flocked up, and there's a big flock in the bottom, and y'all called real aggressively, keeping the main talk, the main flock talking, and it brought a satellite bird into range, and y'all were able to kill him. Uh, describe how the calling led to bringing that satellite bird to you in that situation. Yeah, yeah, just just another one of those strategies. You know, like we were talking about, we were more or less armed scouting. The birds were really flocked up. They were up in the mountains. Uh, the the mass a little higher than than uh, than even we anticipated. You know, but they were doing a lot of dropping down. They were still the green stuff was still showing up on the field edges and in the in the thinner timber. Um, we were able to find that satellite. It was a little bit higher than the flock, and typically when a bird goes high, he's, he's looking for something. He's wanting to be heard. Um, he's only wanting to be heard for one reason. He's wanting to gather him some his own hens and and whatnot. And um, we find that uh, a lot of different reasons for that aggressive calling. I mean, you can get the hens coming your way if you can convince a boss hen to to for a confrontation. You can uh, provoke jealousy on the uh, you know the the, the dom gobblers are typically if it's early season group of gobblers and and try to push that subordinate bird away if you keep that subordinate bird gobbling a lot of times that raises the aggression in the uh in the birds of the of the actual flock so they'll be tempted to run him off so to speak they'll be tempted to cross a ridge in order to push him on off and a lot of times if they're pushed that that satellite gobbler will be coming to coming to the hens that that are kind of outside that outside that circle of, of where he can, he can get to without risking getting beat up, you know. So um, it's just playing those flock dynamics and trying to understand them 
and uh, trying to paint a picture there that if it works out in your favor, it'll be successful. Typically, it's not, especially that early season stuff. But man, that that situation you're talking about there really played in played in perfectly how we had it planned. And I know a lot of times, whether it's Chubbs or whoever you're hunting with, you always have your mouth yelper in, a soft calling going through the woods, scratching in the leaves, or as some people just be talking to their buddy, uh, meaningless just walking through the woods, not trying to be quiet. Talk about the difference it makes always being aware, thinking a turkey could be within hearing range of you, and just acting like a turkey versus acting like a person walking through the woods and how that can become a difference between killing turkeys versus spooking turkeys. Yeah, I mean, that can be confirmed with the amount of turkeys that you've struck or bumped into when you weren't expecting to bump into a turkey. You know, I mean, if you keep uh, provoking turkeys with soft calling, keep pretending to be hens as you're going going from point A to point B, you just kind of raise the uh, opportunity for them to gobble. Um, you know, uh, I'm not talking about cutting and loud calling uh, that turkeys can hear from a distance and potentially strike and you not be ready for a setup but if i'm walking through an area that i'm fixing to flush any doggone ways and i'm gonna be doing some soft calling and kind of give that turkey an opportunity to gobble i'm like you mentioned earlier um, about getting inside that bubble we're getting inside some of these turkeys bubble without knowing you know we could just by happenstance be walking inside his bubble and he's just over the ridge crest from us and if we keep on walking without doing any kind of turkey sound and he could flush or he could just go unnoticed or whatever but if we're doing a little soft talk then we're giving him an opportunity to gobble and it you know and welcoming that whole welcoming the whole game that otherwise wouldn't happen exactly it's like you're going to spook a lot of turkeys just walking through the woods but if you're acting like a turkey and occasionally clucking in soft helps you're going to uh, start start up and find a lot more turkeys going from point a to point b rather than just going from spot to spot and not calling any yep yep absolutely i'm just I'm always out there to try to have as many experiences as I possibly can, and that's proved to be beneficial for me enough to take note of it and then practice it on the reg. And going back to the whole public land discussion, you hear a lot of people saying, oh, you call too much or you call, you don't call enough. Would you say that just goes back to situational and learning experience and knowing when to call and when to not, and there's no such really thing as not calling enough or calling too much? Yeah, situational topic, and people have their own styles, and, and what one style may work on a turkey, and, and you know another style may work on another different turkey. You know, uh, fortunately, turkeys are different too, so they like to hear different things. Um, but yeah, we all have our styles, and I think the best thing that anybody can do is is be able to adapt to uh, to kind of accommodating all those styles. You know, I mean, the more uh, strategies and tactics that you have in your bag to employ on any given day, uh, the better off you're going to be. You know, if we all just went out there with one play uh, in, in, in the playbook, you know, if you, if you went and, and tried to win a football game and you only run, you know, a sweep, you know, on the right side, I mean, it, the other team would eventually figure that out and it wouldn't be effective. Um, so the more plays we have in our playbooks uh, when it comes to game time, the better. And I guess that just kind of goes into calling experience and what calls someone's able to do. I know two years ago you used to trumpet a lot. Last year you used your tube call a good bit, and of course you always got your mouth open and pot calls. But and an assortment of turkey sounds you know how to make. You never know which one will strike a bird that day and which one you'll need to be able to use. Yep, there's uh there's calls that just flip some turkey switch, and um for me there's always a call that seems to have a year you know one year it'll be 
whatever one year it'll be something different like two years ago like you mentioned it was a trumpet um seemed like every turkey i sat down on wanted to hear the trumpet and would react to the trumpet and some years you know last year it was that tube call um got a new out of the tube call uh, and man the turkeys were just hitting it you know um and i found myself using it a lot um uh, it was fun to use fun tool glad i glad i've added that to the art and kind of going back to calling them to the flock, I know a few hunts ago, a month ago, you had a jake come through the woods, and you said if it had been a hen, you would have flushed it so it didn't go to the gobblers, but you let the jake go on down there because sometimes a jake being with the gobblers can be their biggest weakness, and you can do a jakey up, and they'll think another jake's around, and it'll bring them in. Um, kind of explain your thinking behind that, and for someone who doesn't know much about a jakey up or using that, how it can help you in that situation. Yeah, they're a little bit more manipulative. You know, I mean, you can manipulate them a little easier than you can the gobbler a lot of times. Um, not to mention if the gobbler's got hens, um, the jealousy factor comes into play there. I've seen that many times where um, the jakes in a flock kind of can influence the direction of the whole flock. Um, and that's why I don't mind jakes typically being with the gobbler unless you have a you know, a daggone gang of jakes can be a nightmare. But, uh, you know, a couple of jakes or a jake here and there um, joining a gobbler uh, can be very beneficial because, like I said, you can get in tight. You can start provoking jealousy between, you know, if you, if you can convince that jake to come, a lot of times that gobbler will not allow that. Um, and he'll be more interested in trying to get in front of the jake and cut him off than he will be coming to you. But if you've got the jake coming to you, I mean, he's just by uh, – being guilty of association, you know, he, he's trailing along that Jake, trying to turn him around, trying to keep him from the quote-unquote hen that you are and puts himself in shotgun range. So, yeah, um, I'll let that little Jake, and, and it proved beneficial, well, it would have proved beneficial probably. Like in situations when the turkeys quit gobbling, um, you've heard me talk about listening to Jake talk. Um, a lot of times the Jake's will call is me, gives their location away. I know he's standing by that gobbler. The gobbler wouldn't gobble. But that Jake talked, and it was just as good to me because I could keep tabs on where the gobblers are and plan for to do. And just to kind of wrap it up, what kind of mistakes do you think people make the most, and what piece of advice would you give to someone who's just getting into turkey hunting? Oh, man, mistakes that anybody can make is um, hmm. new turkey hunters. Uh, I mean, you have all the standard mistakes that we're all going to make, but um, see – Trying to think of a good one here, something that maybe we haven't discussed before. Um, let's see, just uh, yeah, I mean, I, the, the biggest mistake anybody can make, new or old, is just waiting for tomorrow. You know what I mean? Like, um, if you're given the opportunity to go, like, uh, I don't think you know. I'll wait till tomorrow because the weather's going to be better. I'll wait till tomorrow because it's going to be more convenient. I'll wait till tomorrow because, like, man, we've we've we're only promised today. You know what I mean? So, um, do what you want with this thing. But for me, like, if I, if I can put air in my lungs, then I'm going to be turkey hunting. You know what I mean? So don't don't wait till tomorrow. I mean, capitalize. You have the time available. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. We don't know what changes it could bring along with it. So um, get out there and dig those experiences. You know, um, we're not going to, you know, not ever going to have experiences unless you're out there. So um, I can promise you, man, if you love this a quarter of as much as I do, you're not going to be mad because you went outside. You're not going to be mad because you went turkey hunting. You know, you're not going to view it as a waste of time. Um, 
So just go, I guess. I think it's uh, what I'm trying to say here. Yeah, just be prepared to be humbled and get out in the woods and enjoy yourself because you're not always going to come out with the bird and just prepared to learn from what goes wrong or whatever happened in the situation so next time you can use it for your advantage and maybe come out with a turkey and just understand that like it's okay for him to win you know what i mean like it's okay just just use it as a learning experience um i mean that's that's one of those it's one of those um something we got to kind of continue to preach it's okay for him to win um you know, I've, I've heard it said, oh, I tried to give him a chance to do it right, but but he won't do it right, so I'm going to use this and get him killed. Like, man, it's 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 okay for him to win. Like, that's part of the game. Um, you know, let's, let's, I mean, we're already hunting him with guns and, and everything else. Let's, let's give him a fair shake, you know. Um, that's like I've heard you say before, that killing isn't exactly the fun part of it, but you have to do it in order to win the game. But it's everything that builds up into the kill and just the whole process of the hunt that builds the experience and makes it makes everything you get out of it come together. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, like I said, it's just, it's just a way to do it to try to get as much as I can out of them because uh, I value each of them. You know, while they're upright and once you get to hold them by the feet, that they don't, they don't have that to give you anymore. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 you know, I feel guilty for everyone we tip over, or at least I do. Um, I'm not ashamed of it, but there's a, a, a bit of remorse there. And I sleep better knowing that, that I, that I accomplished and, you know, had that quality experience that I strive to have. And, um, you know, that's, that's just what I, 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 I hope that, I hope that everybody gets that feeling. I hope that, that when they, if they haven't yet, if they haven't gotten that that level of satisfaction of doing it all yourself, that 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 when they do come in contact with it, it feels feel more, you know. Some of my best hunts last year and years past, I didn't actually kill the bird, but I was able to work him all day or for many hours and learn a lot from it. That will help me that same season and for years to come. It's just exactly the point you continue to make. It's not all about killing him. Do you have anything else to add in there, Torn? No, no. I think that's pretty much solid. I didn't want to actually jump in a whole lot there because you guys were on a roll and I didn't want to disrupt the flow. But uh, I guess the only thing to add on my end is um, Dave and Grant, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to hop on the podcast and uh, really throw down both your guys' knowledge on turkey hunting and your experiences. Uh, this podcast was great. I mean, I was listening to it firsthand, and I, I learned a ton. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, Dave, it's always a pleasure to talk to you and to pick your brain for everything you've learned over the years hunting, and uh, thank you for coming on with us. Thank you, guys.